You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Jeremy Paxton, and Hunter Atkins. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode number 125 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm going to be joined here in a few minutes by Hunter Atkins as he makes his triumphant return from West Palm Beach, Florida, back to Houston. So we're definitely excited to have that conversation, mostly focusing on that, the Houston Astros. But uh, let's start off with the Astros. I mean, it's, it's been quite the busy uh, sports week in Houston, if you're a sports fan. Of course, the Rockets are streaking, uh, currently lead the Golden State Warriors for the race for the number one seed in the Western Conference. Uh, knock on wood, but it seems like the Rockets are poised uh, to capture that one seed heading into the playoffs, which will be invaluable to potentially have a Game 7 matchup in Houston against the defending NBA champions. Uh, Rocket streaking, James Harden looks like he's on pace uh, to capture the MVP. Chris Paul providing uh, great depth uh, at the point guard position for uh, the Rockets. And a uh, great time to be alive. Clutch City is back. It's the golden era of Houston sports. And that golden era of Houston sports, uh, you could argue that one of the guys behind that is Jose Altuve. Of course, over the weekend, Jose Altuve, it was leaked uh, that uh, the Astros were going to give the second baseman, the reigning American League MVP, a five-year contract extension worth of upwards of $150 million. Altuve, who was on a very team-friendly contract, I believe I believe I saw a stat this week that said his contract out of all of the position players in Major League Baseball per year, his current contract, he would rank as the 274th highest paid player in baseball. That's an insane deal for the Astros. Now, let me tell you what's significant about this contract. First, uh, the contract officially goes into effect uh, in, in two years. So he will be under club control for the next seven years. He does have a no trade clause in that contract. Uh, he will be getting some signing bonus money that goes into effect in 2018 and 2019. Uh, but it's going to make him the third highest paid position player on a per year salary basis in Major League Baseball. That's quite impressive uh, for Jose Altuve, a guy who, when he was 16 years old, the Astros told to go home, said he was too short, he was too small. But his grit and determination got him a contract, a $15,000 contract with the Astros at the age of 16. Now he's the American League MVP, World Series champion, and he's one of the richest players in baseball. So congratulations to Jose Altuve on that contract. But here's what I think is significant about this. Uh, First off, Scott Boris, Altuve's agent, he advises his clients to test the free agent market. And generally that's the case. They uh, go out there and try to get the highest uh, dollar figure from uh, uh, a suitable team. Uh, For Altuve, he made it clear that he wanted to stay in Houston. It was best for him. It was best for his family. Scott Boris worked on this contract. Uh, So instead of going through arbitration the next two years, Altuve is now under contract. And and this sets things quite open for the Astros moving forward. This sort of extends that championship window for the club. And, uh, you know, you're going to have other guys coming up in a few years. George Springer will be a free agent. Dallas Keuchel will be a free agent at the end of this year. And, of course, Carlos Correa uh, who's young, will be uh, getting a massive contract extension when uh, his contract expires here in just a few seasons. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that that could be New York that brings him in. But uh, with Jim Crane's willingness to spend money on Altuve, paying him through his age 34 season, 
you've got to think that they're going to make another push at Carlos Correa when that time comes. And so if you're an Astros fan, you've got to be encouraged. You've got to be encouraged about the long-term prospects. You've also got to be encouraged about what's at stake as the 2018 season opens in just under two weeks. A lot of excitement here in Houston, especially with uh, you know the Rockets making that push towards a Western Conference number one seed, the playoffs. And of course, the Texans making some splashes this past week in the free agency market, most notably signing a one-year contract, one-year deal with Tyron Matthew, uh, the Honey Badger. If you remember him from college, his college days at LSU, he was a Heisman finalist, uh, was cut by the Arizona Cardinals, couldn't agree on contract terms. Uh, so he's betting on himself, signing a one-year contract to bolster the Texans' secondary. Uh, he'll play safety, and uh, he, he said that a large part of uh, coming to Houston was a result of J.J. Watt. And so if healthy, you've got to be excited about what the Texans' defense brings. There's so much talent on that side of the ball. Uh, but the big question mark remains with that offensive line. How are they going to protect Deshaun Watson, who is coming back from ACL injury? Uh, we'll hopefully talk about that in a few weeks as uh, you know we, we dive in a little more the Texans as we get closer to the NFL draft. But uh, before we get into the interview, or, or really the conversation with Hunter here in just a few minutes, uh, I want to make sure that you follow our social media pages. You can do that by just searching Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can also subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. Uh, great content there pushed each day as we upload each episode. So we want to make sure that you subscribe and follow that as well. Uh, but a great time to be alive here in Houston. Uh, there's a lot of stuff also on the political front that we're going to discuss in the upcoming weeks. We've got some great interviews uh, lined up uh, here in the next few weeks. We're still working to uh, lock down some of the timing, so stay tuned for that. Uh, of course, there's a lot going on locally with the runoff election uh, for uh, House of Representatives here in the state of Texas. Also, uh, better work, Ted Cruz. Uh, who will be, uh, you know, the senator representing the state in 2019 and beyond. Also, it seems like there's daily uh, updates from the Trump administration. So when we have Jeremy back, we'll uh, discuss much more of that in detail. But uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get to that conversation with Hunter. I, I know that a lot of our listeners definitely miss him. So without further ado, it's time to sit back, relax, be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. So we seem to have a addiction i guess myself and jeremy coming to kirby ice house to record and when it's such great weather it's called just, alcoholism yeah you well <laughs> fair but <laughs> when it's such great weather you just have to record outside rather than the weekly brew studios and uh there's no way there no no better way to celebrate hunter atkins return to houston than over a few brews at kirby that ice and house. hanukkah yeah the hanukkah. best ways to celebrate Which me. Was, uh, happy belated hanukkah thank you thank can you. we celebrate that at like lt info my candle burns all year round so <laughs> do you spend the dreidel every night all right now we're getting dirty okay fair enough <laughs> welcome back to the h man how are you doing the h who are you like where you your slim thug all of a sudden i'm you're plugging wearing, a friend's a, podcast you're wearing a cardigan you got a point <laughs> Yeah, no, it feels good to be back. I'm obviously out of the hellscape that is West Palm Beach, Florida. I feel at home, rested, ready to talk more about baseball. Well, how's your first off? How's your tender game gone since I, you've I, been listen, back? I, you know, I can't, I can't kiss and tell for free. All right. So, but um, pitiful would be a word. Well, that, that's use? how it was in Florida, right? Is it better here in Houston? Don't know. Okay. Maybe on the common denominator. 
maybe they need like video elements so you could do your impressions. I, I feel like that could take you. <laughs> I to think the that next only level. impresses you and my family. I don't think that's gonna that's gonna win me any dates. All right, what do you want to know about the Astros? <laughs> enough, about, enough about my my woeful dating life. So we're here with Hunter, and uh, who's we? We is you. Me, me. It's just you and okay. me right now. Right. There's no we. It's right. you and some some awful smokers that are blowing cigarette and cigar smoke. All right, this wasn't this turned out not to be as great an experience <laughs> as I thought it was going to be. By the way, I'm a human ashtray right now. <laughs> All right, so you're back in Houston just temporarily uh, before heading back to Florida to check out the Mets and spring training. Hey. Astros are about 16 days away, 15 days. I'm bad at math. They're two weeks away, roughly, from the uh, the start of the season in Arlington. Uh, you know, what has the experience been like for you covering the shows full time? And you know, is there still a sense of urgency for this club heading into the 2018 season? That's what they say. I mean, uh, Jeff Luno has used this term messaging that there was messaging to the team right after the World Series that they What does that to... mean? Like, what is messaging? It's, I don't know. It's like some highfalutin Did term. they give them, like, talking points and, no, like, briefing? Yes. No, it's it's this highfalutin word for basically, you know, like, a message that they really want the public to understand much more than, than Never the Never settle. Hashtag. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think it's kind of silly, but the point that they, they wanted the team, as soon as the World Series ended, Luno uh, told me, that... They were telling players to get rest, that don't say yes to everything. Don't do every appearance because you're not going to be able to and you're not going to be invigorated. And then he interrupted himself and said, reinvigorated for spring training. And when the players got there, it was like the first thing they talked about was how they have stopped savoring the momentous post-Harvey run to the World Series. That that was That's over. It's in the past. Obviously, it was great, but they're focused on 2018. I'm sure that every defending champion in recent history has, has said, said this. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like messaging, quote-unquote messaging has been a big part of, of this team. And they've but, even thrown it out there by saying, you know, we're not the Cubs. Well, I was going to I was going to say that so, so I have a pre in a we have a preview issue coming out in the Chronicle. I'm guessing it's the day or two before the season starts. And I do a whole story about what makes the Astros think they can repeat given a lot of historical you know, information. So, so for instance, the last five defending champions around the all-star, the subsequent all-star break were all either just barely above 500 or much worse than 500. So the last def- five defending champions have been bad. Uh, the Cubs That's managed. so crazy. To it me. is weird, right? Yeah. They, so <laughs> after all these years, the Astros have been losing so they can win the World Series. Well, there's no data right now. There's no predictive data to show why winning the World Series makes you lose the next season. The Cubs last year rebounded well enough to make the playoffs. Um, but, but, but aside from them, the, the four defending champions before them didn't make the playoffs and were dog crap. So, you know, like that's a, this idea of messaging, it also comes with this consciousness, this like self-awareness that teams before them have failed. Like, you know, and, I, and we can sort of like what's the right term here almost theatricize it by saying it's the hangover it's the world series hangover i don't know if that's true but the astros are very aware of it and that's why they've been so publicly speaking out about how they're putting last year behind them and they're really focused on this year and you know they don't want to say dynasty but they could be a dynasty well i mean new york post put out a story saying why the astros are not going to be like the cubs and why they are more Built. Since when are you reading the New York Post? I, I follow on Twitter. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Actually, you inspired me. You know, I had to get more of that New York vibe into the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> but you know, the post was suggesting that this team is built very similarly to the '98, '99, 2000 Yankees. They have the depth, starting rotation, the depth in the lineup. Astros what return eleven of the top twelve OPS hitters, with the only one leaving is Beltran. I mean, hmm. I, I, sure. I mean, I mean, continuity. But well. If I can plug my story again, this the, the repeat story I did. It, it it's the site. It it explores the value of continuity. Is continuity really that important? Is it really that helpful? It's it's actually not such a great predictor really? of repeat performance. Yeah. Um, so well, I mean, if you look at a football perspective, continuity between Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and having the same system in place year in and year out seems to produce success for the Patriots. Why, sure, and, why and can't you extrapolate no, that? No, basketball, it's right. good too. But, but baseball has way too many moving parts. It's way too long a season. They have way, you know, it's way too many injuries that could happen. Also, far more teams make the playoffs per se, you know, like I said, than they used to in baseball. Right. Basketball's not a great example because half the teams make it. But I'm saying, basically, years ago, like when the Yankees were so good and they had all this continuity, you got to keep in mind there was only, you know, one wild card. Right, and and, and obviously, and there was even a period where there was no wild cards. So now you have two wild card teams, and you have revenue sharing, and there's a lot more free agency movement. Like all this stuff has complicated the picture for teams trying to create a dynasty. It's interrupted. But it comes down to pitching, right? Or or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pitching. I mean, no. But I was going to say, the Jeff Luno was so cognizant of regression and the dangers of regression that players that overperformed, like Marvin Gonzalez. Brad Peacock, even Charlie Morton, Josh Reddick, to an extent, um, that they likely, mathematically, will resort back to the mean, right? They're going to regress. So how do you compensate for that? You get more talent. So he goes out, and he gets Garrett Cole, an Who ace. has looked very, very good in the spring. I think 12 and a third inning, something like 12 strikeout. I mean, he's just been... I, I mean, it's... He's looked good. Yeah, and, and it's all about sort of what your expectations are for him. You know, they don't need him to be the best pitcher in the American League. They need him to be, you know, a formidable third starter, which, which is, is pretty insane. nuts. It is He insane. was an opening day starter for the Pirates, and now he's third or fourth guy, yeah. arguably, for that. Yeah, and he, and, he, and he certainly could pitch as well as anybody in baseball on a given day. I mean, he's really... Or, or he's got I the talent. Say, he's I mean, more than a given day. In a month, he could be the best pitcher how, in, how is he, in baseball. How has he sort of evolved under Strom, like working with Strom? Oh, I don't know. It's too soon. I, too soon? I, I actually, I profile Another plug here. I, I, uh, I profiled him for our preview issue, and what's incredible about him, which I doubt any American League fans really know, he is a brainiac. I mean, like a, just a, a savant in terms of his obsession with pitching and the intricacies of pitching. So, like, there was this moment when uh, every time I see him in the clubhouse, he's intimately, deeply engaged in some kind of baseball conversation or he's watching the spring training game by himself and talking out loud. So, uh, this one time I approached him and I was like, you know, you're, such a, you're so thoughtful. You're really, like, thinking about baseball. You're really, like, breaking down every part of it all the time. And he, he goes, he has this kind of, like, uh, wiry voice for a guy who's six foot five, 220 pounds. He goes... Like, I'm taken aback by your questioning, <laughs> and I, I I didn't mean that at all. I didn't mean that. What do you mean? Why? He goes. Well, what he means is that he goes, well, he Hunter goes, Atkins <laughs> is the intellectual reporter that we all need, and that oh, Pittsburgh doesn't so have. Oh, that is not true. You are so immensely generous. Nobody reads anything I write, so that that's definitely not true. But I said that to him, and he goes, and he leans back, and he goes, "Am I weird?" <laughs> I said, "No, no, no." And and br- luckily, Brad Peacock is has the locker next to him, and he interjects, sort of like saving my butt. Brad goes, 
No, man. I can't, I, I'm not going to curse, but he basically said, you're smart as, as hell. <laughs> you know, he said a different word than hell, but, but it was really funny. And, and the point I'm trying to make is that Brad Peacock gets the sign, throws the pitch, doesn't have time out there to think about anything else. Garrett Cole is thinking about every single angle of the ball as it leaves his hand to the point where he's basically trying to view it from the fourth dimension. Is that kind of burdensome as a pitcher? I mean, to have... It's gotten him into trouble. I interviewed his former pitching coach with the Pirates, Ray Searage, who is, who's a much beloved and respected longtime pitching coach in Major League Baseball. And he said that, yeah, you know, like, the, like Cole has a tendency to overthink, and it's gotten him in trouble. It's, I mean, I, I try that in my dating life, like trying to overthink things, and it just To view chaos. it from the fourth dimension? It's chaos. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You just got to get the sign and, and, and pitch it. That's your biggest problem. Basically. Yeah. But um, it's for a different show. So, no, I mean, I think that I do think there's something to Cole's overthinking that it probably has gotten him into trouble several times. It probably has made him spin his wheels and made him get frustrated. It, it also probably has had him butt heads with coaches, including Searage on occasion. But at the same time, it's also that is him. That's his DNA. That's his, that is how he is most comfortable. And they're going to, without question, embrace it. He's, it's been great watching him. I think I said this last time, right? Watching him. Justin Verlander, Lance McCullers, the three of them just work talk, together. Well, talk so intensely and intimately about pitching is extraordinary. I, I think you know he's a great fit, and, and like I said, it's a testament to Luno being so concerned about regression that he was aggressive in getting Verlander that first time, right last last summer when he failed on the first swing on July 31st, the trade deadline, and a month later he had his he had another final chance to get Verlander, and he pulled the trigger and he made it happen. And it was the same thing with getting Cole. Um, it, yeah, you said before, pitching is going to be everything for this team. Their starting pitching is outstanding. They're going to be able to bring in Brad Peacock when somebody inevitably get, gets hurt, which is going to be great. They have Martez as an option to call up if they need to start. Um, Paulino's trying to make a comeback, although, in truth, I, I think he's probably done. I don't really? Think, yeah, Why I don't do you think, say that? I, it's just not there anymore. I don't, I, I don't know if it was because of all the time he missed. I don't know if he really was never going to pull it together, but... I don't think he's going to have a future with the Astros. Um, there's this new starter named um, Rogelio Armenteros, who's a Cuban pitcher that they've been developing, who's going to start at AAA and probably be, you know, if not the opening day AAA starter, maybe the, the number two starter for them. He's another option they'll have to bring up in the year. And I say this all now because just, you know, Astros get prepared. Somebody's going to get hurt, but the Astros have this exceptional level of depth um, to, to, you know, to finish out the season strong. It's going to be, they're going to play, they're going to play really well this year. There's a 0% chance that they will miss the playoffs. I'm confident in saying that. Take that to the bank. If you are a gambling person, put Not out your that either savings. you are, no, I no. is one. No, no, we've never, we would never do that. We would before. never do no. that. We would never, March no. Madness is here. Was that? <laughs> March Madness is here, which is when I gamble a lot, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think with, with, with the Astros, it, You've you've seen, you know, Garrett Cole, for example. And I don't want to just stay on Garrett Cole, but one of the things that I'm excited about is he was the guy in Pittsburgh, and so being the guy, there's a certain amount of pressure that comes on your shoulders, right? He's young. He's he's not an established. And he absolutely thought about that. I mean, he's that aware yeah, of everything. Right. He, he, that was on his mind. And he's he's not an established veteran like Verlander, who's been around the block, you know, since 2006, 2007. I almost wonder if, you know, Cole coming in and having an MVP, a Cy Young winner, and a Cy Young Award winner, and then a, a boisterous Lance McCullers on the roster who doesn't seem to give zero Fs what anyone thinks, 
I wonder if that sort of takes some of the pressure off of him and allows him to excel. It's hard, and, and it's maybe, hard to say. And also he, maybe in a media market that's not going to be overly oppressive to it's them. Honestly, I, I don't know. I think we're probably making too much of that kind of comfort if it even exists. This is a guy who puts a lot of pressure on himself and has probably since high school. Uh, for real. I don't think he's ever seen himself as anything less than the most, like having the most pressure. He, he, I don't think he's that kind of guy. Um, I think he probably embraces it out of necessity. Um, I think now he, he feels like he has to prove himself to this new team. You know what I mean? It's just something else that he's, he's looking at as motivation and as pressure. Yeah. And, 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 you know, speaking of pressure, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on the offense. Did you have a lot of fiber today? A lot of pressure? I did. I did, actually. A lot of pressure you're feeling right now? (laughs) Um, I I think there's a lot of pressure on the offense to live up to those historic numbers they've put up in 2017. Of course, Altuve coming off the MVP season, Correa having aspirations to be the best player in baseball, Bregman, you know, putting the work in the the weight room, Uh, Guriel, obviously injured, comes back in mid April, but. Where does the offense look? Does it look like business as usual, or are you still concerned maybe about the regression of the mean with guys like Marwin, guys like you? Yeah, I, I mean, being sensible, you have to expect that their offense can't be nearly so potent overall as it was last season. You know, like it, 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 Marwin can't be overlooked, the kind of aberration that he was last season. He's a guy who, who was, you know, a, a role player, a relatively unknown role player who out of nowhere bats 300. And, I, I, and I, know, I know that the Astros had Altuve win the American League MVP, but... He's hit he, very well before, and they haven't had an offense like this. Right, uh, but you, know. you, you could you could almost make the argument that Marwin was the team's... I, I won't go that one far. One of the most I, I know, I know. A lot of, he got some MVP votes, I think, which is just ridiculous. But it, it, my point is, it, we're making the same point, which is just that his contributions last year were unexpected and extraordinary. Yeah seems unlikely that he could do that again. I, I don't really see, you, you know, it's just rare that guys at age 20, I'm, what's tomorrow, maybe 28, like, that the, it just turns on. You know, I can think of Jose Bautista totally changed his career midway through. Oh, you could say that on air. Austin, Austin just made a motion off air that I thought was, that's very inflammatory. It's not true. I'm just making a joke. Yeah, you injected a certain <laughs> level of opinion there about the, the about the suspicious turnaround of Marwin Gonzalez and Jose Bautista. But, uh, be, whatever it is, it's just it's so unlikely that this is the new Marwin. That he's a guy who you can look to to look at and see a regression from this season. Evan Gaddis, I actually thought did very well in a limited role last year. Now he's going to bat a lot more. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. Which is um, weird because last year his numbers were actually better. No, I thought they were. He was behind the plate offensively. Oh, really? Which I didn't know that. Maybe he was more engaged. I don't understand that. Could have been a small sample size. He only caught like that's fair. a handful know, of games. 40 games or whatever it was. And then, of course, you have Stassi um, coming in this year as the third catcher. Yeah, yeah not worth discussing. But 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 anyway, fair. but this idea of, so, are we concerned about their offense? No, they're going to have a really good offense. But to hold them to the standard of how well they hit overall last year is is not, uh, that's really not fair. Um, those would be too high expectations. They're going to be good. Is there you, anyone you, in the you, West that can challenge them? I mean, because look know. at L.A. I, and they've I got Mike Trout. Arguably best player in baseball. They've got the this, new Babe Ruth. Yeah, o- Shohei Otani, uh, who is going to both pitch and hit. They're going to go with a six. Allegedly, rotation. we'll see if that right how that holds out. But yeah, I mean, every team except for the Athletics improved, right? So the Mariners, the Angels, and the Rangers even they all improved. So you're they're going to. I mean, I, I don't expect the Astros to, have, to win a hundred games. I think that like ninety four ninety five. 
is that should be enough to win the division. That that's a really really good number of wins to have in a season. Yeah, most um, years that's looking at a one seed in yeah, the postseason. Yeah, like right. they'll. they'll pro- I still think they'll win the division. Uh, who could challenge them of those three teams? <sighs> I mean, you've got the Rangers experiment, but, you know, offensively, they don't... I think it's the Angels because I think that uh, that the casual fan in Houston... This is is what I was going to say. The casual fan in Houston probably does not know just how hurt and how injured that team was last season, especially their pitching staff. They made a run late in the season as well. They did. They're going to have Garrett Richards back for a whole year. He's throwing 99 miles an hour right now. Um, Otani is very, very good, even if it's going to be once every six days, like... His war should be pretty high, I think. So I know I know he's doing spring training in Arizona. Have you talked to anyone who has seen him or have you yeah, watched yeah. any of his games? Yeah, kid's nasty. Like I I mean, his hitting I think is gonna lag behind severely. I mean it's to the point where so Jeff Passan of Yahoo.com wrote a story about how, you know, like realistically, according to Scouts, Otani should be starting in the minors as a hitter that he really should be building up to major league pitching and that he's going to get smoked. Um, I've heard the same thing from other reporters that I've seen him uh, up close. So I think as a hitter, he, he might, they, they might end up nixing that and just having him pitch, which is not the worst thing in the world. They have time to figure, you know, to sort of experiment with that. Um, he, you know, so as a hitter, like what's the big deal? It doesn't really matter. I don't know how much value he's really going to have over the long tour of the season, but for him to potentially become an ace by the end of the year, I totally think it's a possibility. He, his stuff is great. His breaking ball is disgusting. It looks so good. Um, I don't know how often the Astros are going to run into him with the six-day pitching rotation the Angels have, but it doesn't matter. Like just, just in terms of can they challenge the Astros for the division? Yeah. Close. No, they can get close. They can make a, make, make a push with the wild card. They'll make it interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the wild card for sure. But I even mean, let's say the inevitable injury happens, right? Let's uh, To whomever. On the on the Astros, it's an immediate window of opportunity for the Angels. Um, at the same time, you know the argument can be made: Hey, look, the Astros last year they their starting rotation was decimated for like half the season. You know, come if you sort of like aggregate all of it together. Um, Carlos Correa missed 46, 42, or forty six games uh, because of his thumb, so they're going to get him back. Yeah, like I get it. All right, they, like the Astros are going to be really, really good, but we have to leave the room. To, to, to be realistic about injuries that inevitably are going to happen to this team. Yeah. That's kind of fascinating to me because the Astros, you know, despite the injuries last year, they were blessed that they did get everyone back in time to, you know, get those reps in in September. And, and they had so much depth last right. year, like this season, to compensate for, for losses as well. Yeah, and, of course, the Astros uh, visited the White House earlier this week, and we, we won't really get into that much. But I, I do want to discuss really quickly um, – Jake Kaplan uh, wrote a story in the Athletics. Who exactly? Who former former coworker of yours? Uh, he wrote a story about Correa, uh, you know, being in Florida and skipping the White House uh, tour, essentially with the Trump administration, so he could help spend the off day, essentially gathering supplies for victims of Hurricane Maria in, in Puerto Rico. There were a few Astros that uh, you know have family members that live down there, and obviously the team, uh, you know did a great job last year providing assistance where they could. What is the vibe, I guess, from the Puerto Rican players that you're hearing from, you know, just the recovery they've process? Been, they've been t- oh, about the recovery process. Yeah. Well, if I don't say so myself, another plug. I have a... Uh, <laughs> I got Keep a on plugging. I, 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 <laughs> I am the plug, ladies. And uh, there's a... Um, 
So I have a story coming out about Carlos's experience here in Houston when his grandparents were flooded by Hurricane Maria uh, near death and the kind of turmoil that the Correa family went through during Hurricane Maria. And then this really eye-opening, at first harrowing and then inspiring trip that Carlos took with his family to visit Puerto Rico for the first time since the hurricane over Thanksgiving and what that was like. And, you know, they have these players, whether it's Carlos, uh, Carlos Beltran, Cora, Cintron, who's Alex Cintron is the, the first base coach for the, uh, the, the Astros. They've all been very hushed on placing blame on the American government, which I think a lot of like the Twitter sphere is sort of hoping will fuel the fire and they'll see that out there. But they, they haven't done that. They've just simply said that the relief effort wasn't enough, that they had to do their own, which they did amazingly. Uh, Jim Crane offered up his jet and right, gave it to right. Correa, like flew the Correa's, uh, well, Carlos Correa, I don't yeah, and supplied shipping, uh, shipping containers and cargo planes to get goods from America to Puerto Rico for this personal relief mission that Carlos Correa did. Uh, so it's all been you know, like personally driven, but they're not they're not putting any blame and being uh, they're not polit- they really aren't politicizing it on purpose. They just don't they really don't want the bad publicity. But I think in truth, this is my voice. This is not them. But I would say that they're pretty pissed off and, and upset. And that and that Carlos not going to the White House re- clearly is a form of a statement that he not only didn't go to the White House, but then on the same day in not going to the White House, gathered supplies and sent them to Puerto Rico. You know, that's a message. Right. I mean, the U.S. government obviously. Didn't do its job. Well, it didn't take and, an interest. And, right, right, exactly. Um, there is kind of a parallel that I'm thinking of real quick, and we'll wrap up this segment here in just a second. But uh, the Houston Texans have been getting a lot of flack because of Bobby McNair's comments, obviously, mm. that have, uh, you know, have not been taken well since last year with inmates running the, uh, the prison, as he so eloquently put it. Uh, and then there was a report by Jerome Solomon uh, in the Chronicle about two weekends ago suggesting that major free agents would not consider the Texans because of McNair's comments and that if McNair had a choice, he would sign all white, all pro players. Now, putting the Texans aside, when you look at the Astros and what Crane has done from a humanitarian perspective, how he has supported his players, their causes, and I know baseball is not as political as, you know, like the NBA or the NFL in terms of players making political statements, but for the players, does that sort of give them another level of commitment, knowing that their owner is going to back them both on and off the field? Does that give them some sense of, I don't know, confidence playing and in, in, in working for that sure. team? Sure, and, and yeah, and belief in the organization. I mean, sure. I, 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 it's a tough comparison, actually. I really, I wouldn't want to compare. If I, if, if you hadn't brought it up, I really wouldn't have thought to compare Bob McNair and how he has run the Texans with Jim Crane and how he has run the Astros. I, I view them in vacuums. I view them in isolation, not mutually ex- that I view them mutually exclusive. And that's totally fair. Um, I think it's case by case with any owner in any team, though. Like, Donald Sterling was obviously a lunatic and, you know, sort of malicious in how he treated employees and squeezed the Clippers out of uh, any kind of decent money in terms of employees and, and players. But, so... You know, you have him, but then on the other hand, you have Mickey Harrison, who runs the Miami Heat, who apparently, like for years, lost money on the franchise, but that wasn't a big deal to him. So, I, so there's a interest sport comparison that is even so different and diametrically opposed. So, to compare 
you know, the football team to the baseball team. I'm not going to do that, but um, I can, I definitely can say that the Astros really, really love Jim Crane. They're really grateful. Um, we haven't heard of any kind of dispute since I think it was Mark Appel, maybe the prospect years ago, the pitching prospect who had a contract dispute, you know, but other than that, like, I haven't heard any contract disputes with the Astros. Uh, Jim Crane finally splurged on getting Justin Verlander. There's all the relief effort that he did during, you know, for Hurricane Harvey. Now this cargo ship, or these cargo planes that he gave for Correa, it's, a, it's absolutely an example of how much he and the players are working well together. As for McNair, you know, I, I know that Jerome wrote that story. I, I actually, I thought it was a really provocative story that I, I'm not going to personally, like, back. I don't have any reporting on that. I thought that was really it was questionable i mean i'm not gonna say questionable as much as like it's just i actually like i'm I'm happy to go on the record and say that i think that to make that point there probably needed to be more reporting than talking to some agents i just think that you know getting player voices would have been really important to know definitively if players think that the owner is so racially biased that he would prefer to have an all-white team i mean that's you know that's a lot to say i'm not comfortable sort of speculating that from afar um He's obviously, you know, has a really bad public reputation for what he said. McNair, that is. but I, Justifiably I, so, I think. I Look, but I, my point is that I don't have enough experience reporting with the players, or play, reporting on the players and talking with them to know if the relationship between players and the Texans is truly that strained. Yeah. Well, Hunter, I know you got to run. I wish we could just keep on talking. Yeah, keep on talking, keep on drinking, taking in all this secondhand smoke. <laughs> it's so great, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm, <laughs> like I said, yeah, I'm soaked and ensconced right now in uh, nicotine. <laughs> so Hunter Atkins35, if you want to follow him on Twitter. And uh, Hunter, what do you have coming up on the Chronicle? Dude, so much. Um, all right, so we have a preview issue for the season, which is going to have everything you possibly could need to like get your final boost for this team before you before the season starts. Uh, I have a story about Carlos Correa in Puerto Rico. I got a story about can they repeat. I got a story about Garrett Cole. Uh, I'm trying to think. I have a really cute story coming out about um, beer vendors at uh, West Palm Beach at the ballpark. Interesting. I just I've always idolized the beer men, and uh, and these are you know they capitalize on that brief six that six week window every year. Actually, well, it's less than that. The game's only like a month when they got to make all their money, and I think you know it's like a death of a salesman kind of story. Uh, so I would love for everybody to check that out about the beer men. Let's see, you're gonna write about the catchers and how bad the Astros catchers are throwing out runners. Oh, terrible, they're, terrible. They're, oh, they're worse by a mile. They, that last year they threw out 12 percent of runners. Let that number sink in. 12 percent is all they threw out. Yeah. Now that's bad. But what my story will beg the question: Is that really that big of a deal? We will see. Um, let's see. Got another story. I, I got a ton of stuff coming out about So first non-Astros story that you're going to write. Do you know what it is coming up? No, I know. Thank God. I don't know. I'm sure it'll be about <laughs> the Rockets and, and how well they're playing. I wish, honestly, I wish I had had time to watch their amazing 17 uh, game win streak. Or it was 16, a lot of fun. Excuse me. 16 a lot game of fun. 17. You're right. 17? Yeah. 17 game win streak. I wish I could have seen it, but I'll get back into it. And then hopefully next time we talk. Just in time for the playoffs. Yeah. Well, that's the most important part, man. We've been waiting all year to see. Basically, let's just get to the Warriors Rockets already, right? Yeah, I cannot wait. Me neither. Should be a lot of fun. But Hunter, always great to have you. Especially great to have you not on the phone, but like two feet away from me. That's well, great. That's why I can help you with all that pressure you're feeling. Exactly. All right, Hunter Atkins, thirty-five. Follow him on Twitter. Hunter, appreciate it, man. Thanks. 
closing time. Again, this has been episode 125 of the Weekly Brew Podcast, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Hunter. It was great to have him back in town, uh, you know, discussing all things baseball, life in general, at Kirby Ice House. And, uh, of course, he'll be back here uh, in full swing once the baseball season starts and once the uh, the NBA playoffs uh, begin. So hopefully we'll have the whole crew together here in, in just a few more weeks. But hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, uh, go ahead and like and subscribe on iTunes. You can just search the Weekly Brew Podcast or Weekly Brewcast. Also, you can subscribe to our social media handles at Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, uh, go to our website, weeklybrewcast.com. We post all the content there each week that we release an episode, so uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, that's pushed straight to your inbox. You can sign up to essentially re- receive push alerts. Highly recommend it if you enjoy this show, but uh, thanks again to Hunter for sitting down and talking with us, and uh, if you're <laughs> If you're a Houston fan, soaking in, it's a great time to be alive. Great time to enjoy uh, all things sports here in Houston. Uh, You've got to be confident about the Astros heading into 2018, the Rockets making the playoff push, even a little excitement surrounding the Texans. I know they didn't make the playoffs last year, but you've you've got to like some of the offseason they moved offseason moves that they've made especially on the defensive side of the ball and of course offensive line still a huge question mark uh, hopefully they can fill some of those needs in the draft we'll get into that here in just a few more more weeks but i hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast and on behalf of my co-host jeremy paxton hunter atkins my name is austin staten we'll see you next week you've been listening to the weekly brew 